Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Take your Bibles and open to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. As, as you're finding your place in Scripture, and we're going to have it on the screen here in just a few minutes. If you're, as you're finding Acts chapter 26, I want to begin with a question this morning. I don't want anybody to answer out loud. I don't need you to raise your hand or even look at anybody around you. I just want you to answer this within your heart, but I want you to answer it honestly. Okay? I don't want the Sunday school answer. I don't want the answer you might give me if I stopped you in Walmart. (laughs) I know you're always completely honest with me, by the way. But I want you to answer honestly with the Lord this question. Very simply, when was the last time you shared Christ with someone? was the last time you shared Christ with somebody? Now, I'm not talking about inviting them to church. That's important. I get that. I'm not talking about mentioning the things of Rosemont. All those things matter. Those are good. You need to do those. I'm talking about a gospel discussion where you shared Christ with somebody. Where you said to somebody, listen, without Jesus, you can't be saved. Because I feel like if we were honest with each other, and again, this is between you and the Lord. I have no idea. But I feel like if we were honest... Most believers would say, you know what, it's been a while, and it probably doesn't happen often enough. The reason I can say that with some certainty is because statistically, if you kind of look at Christianity and certain denominations, Southern Baptist Convention especially, you know that over the last many years, the Southern Baptist Convention has basically been in decline, right? Evangelism has declined, church membership has declined, baptisms have declined. And if you look statistically, and again, I'm not talking about the Southern Baptist Convention, but other denominations have kind of followed the same trends. If you look statistically, it wasn't like this 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. And so the question comes up what's different? I and mean, what's changed in the last three or four decades? It's caused us to be in decline. I know there are a lot of answers. We could probably sit and debate and discuss, and you've got an opinion, and somebody else has a different opinion, and and I get that. It's a nuanced sort of a discussion and question. But I kind of feel like if we were honest with ourselves and we kind of took a look at the trend, I would say that probably a lot of people, and this this leads us to not do evangelism like we ought to, I think a lot of people have forgotten the desperate situation that unbelievers are in. We've forgotten how dangerous it is to be an unbeliever. We've forgotten what being an unbeliever really means because for most of us, like myself included, I've been a believer for a number of years, and so I kind of surround myself with other Christians. I'm kind of in that Christian world, and I have to be real intentional about being around unbelievers. And if you've been a believer for a long time, you kind of fall into this place where you forget either what it's like to be an unbeliever or you forget the desperate situation that they're in. Because biblically, we would say, listen, an unbeliever who does not accept Christ is going to spend eternity separated from the Lord. That's a desperate place to be in. And so I want to just kind of challenge you this morning, first of all, with the idea of understanding the the position that unbelievers are in, first of all. But secondly, I want to challenge you with the question, what are you going to do about it? Because we've been studying through Acts now for many weeks, and we're winding down. We're getting very close to the end. I'm going to wind this thing up very soon. But over the last many weeks, we've studied Paul. And one of the things I love about Paul is regardless of the circumstance that he's in, right? And he's been in prison for the last several uh, sermons, the last several chapters. He's been in prison, 
under persecution, going through trials. It doesn't matter what Paul goes through. It doesn't matter where Paul finds himself. It doesn't matter the circumstances of life that Paul's in. Paul finds this way, oftentimes, of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's done it from house to house. He's done it in the synagogues. He's done it while he's in prison. Last week, he did it with Felix, the governor. It seems like time and time again, regardless of the circumstances, Paul's going to share Christ. I thought, what a great example for us to live in. What What a great thing for us to emulate, seeing the apostle Paul seeing his understanding of the gospel, his understanding of the need for Christ, realizing the desperate situation that unbelievers find themselves in and being willing to do something about it. And so last week we had this interesting discussion when we studied Paul and we took a look at Paul before Governor Felix. Remember, Paul had been arrested, brought before the Roman governor who was a harsh governor, did not rule very well. Eventually he's going to be removed. But Paul's put on trial in front of Felix. And Felix kind of made the excuses and found himself in some of the pitfalls that we find ourselves in. Remember we taught, I'm going to give, you to, give them to you because I want you to remember these from last week. We said that knowledge of Christianity is not enough to save you. Remember, Felix knew a lot about Christianity. He was very acquainted with the ways, what Scripture said. But knowing about Jesus is differently the, different than knowing Jesus. We said well, there's, there's a great danger there of thinking you know Jesus when you've never had that personal encounter, when you've never repented of your sins and grown in your faith. We said that procrastination kills us in our faith. Right, it keeps us from growing. We put off Bible study. We put off prayer. We put off church attendance. A week turns into a month. A month turns into a year. And we can't figure out why we're not growing in our faith because we've procrastinated. It's a danger. Felix fell into that trap. We saw last week that failing to see what's really important keeps our eyes off the things of the Lord. Remember, Felix was so interested in getting a bribe from Paul, he couldn't see that Paul was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And so Paul met with Felix then he's going to meet with Festus, who's the new governor. Festus is, this is verse chapter 25. Festus is going to put him on trial again. And I want to point something out to you. This is interesting. This just kind of moves our story forward a little bit. I think we have it on the screen. Acts chapter 25, verse 11. If you've got your scripture and you want to look, I want to read it to you. We have it on the screen as well. Again, this is just filling in a gap before we jump into Acts chapter 26. But Paul is in front of this governor. And he's asking questions and he's being tried and Paul is defending himself, Governor Festus. Verse 11 of Acts 25, this is Paul speaking. If I then am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there's nothing to these charges, if there's nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them, I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, and he's a local governor that took over for Felix, Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Right? Paul says, listen, I've already spoken house to house. I've spoken in the synagogues. I've spoken to Governor Felix. I've spoken to Governor Festus. Now, in our story this morning, he's going to speak to King Agrippa. Paul says, I'd like to take this all the way to Caesar. I'd like to share Christ, if possible, with Caesar. And so the remainder of the book of Acts, the next couple of chapters, is basically Paul's journey to Rome to eventually see Caesar. But in the middle of this, King Agrippa shows up. King Agrippa's interested in Paul. He wants to hear Paul's story. He wants to hear Paul's testimony. So picking up in Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 13, Paul is now before King Agrippa. 
Paul is going to give his testimony, which, by the way, is the third time in the book of Acts he's done it. And just a little side note, this isn't the bulk of what we're going to say this morning, but never underestimate the power of your testimony. When given the chance, share your story of Christ. So this is Paul doing this in front of King Agrippa, Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 13. He's going to recount his salvation experience, the words of Paul. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven. Remember, Paul is recounting his salvation experience on the Damascus Road. I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Verse 16, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Verse 17, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Now, verse 18 is important. We're going to spend a lot of time in verse 18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now let's stop there because I want you to see kind of two main things through this passage. The first thing I want you to see over and over is the truth about unbelievers. I want you to see the desperate situation that they're in. And then the second thing I want you to notice as we walk through this together is what we ought to do about it. So truth number one, right out of the scripture, we have it on the screen for you, kind of the understanding of where unbelievers are, number one, unbelievers are blinded to God's truth. Now I want you to notice something about the scripture. It doesn't say that they can see a little bit or they kind of know what's going on. The Bible explains to us that they're blinded. They don't understand who Christ is. Right, so you talk to an unbeliever, they, they have no idea about spiritual things. They have no idea about Christ. They may have heard his name before. They, they may know a little bit about him, but they don't know him. They don't understand who he is. They don't understand the calling in their lives, and they certainly don't understand the truth of salvation. Now, here's one of the scary things we learn in Scripture. We, we, we see time and time again that unbelievers don't see the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're blinded by Satan. All right, so we, un we understand Satan. We've talked about him before. We kind of know who he is. But one of the things we, ne we need to kind of get and remember is that he's actively trying to destroy, trying to steal, trying to kill. He's actively blinding people from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not passive. I'll be clear about that. It's active. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. In their case... The God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, we're going to come back to that here in just a second. I'm going to come back to the enemy and how he blinds and what he does, but I want you to kind of have that mindset of what he's doing, how he's blinded people. I want you to notice now verse 18. Pull 18 up if you would for me, please. Paul's calling is very simple. We're going to kind of work through this and see some very specific things in verse 18. But if we understand scripturally that unbelievers are blinded, they can't see, then the call on Paul's life at the beginning of verse 18 is to what? To open their eyes. 
Right, Paul, you, you need to do something about this, right? You need to open the eyes of the blind. You need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to tell them the truth. You need to show them who I am. Now, I want you to understand where this is heading, right? Because this isn't just about Paul. We're going we're gonna to land this in your lap here in about two minutes, okay? Pull verse 15 up, if you would, for me, please. I want you to notice something. This is the conversation that Paul has. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, stand upon your feet, for I've appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Verse 17, this is important. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am, what's the word? Sending you. Now, I did a whole sermon on the idea of being sent a couple years ago. It is amazing to me in my personal study, all the people in Scripture, all the, you know, what we would consider the big names of Scripture, if you go back and really study their life biblically, there are all sorts of examples in Scripture where those people were sent. Now, we see the same word being used to Paul here, right? The Lord says, listen, I am sending you to these people. Now, here's what a lot of us do. We, we see people like Paul or Moses or Abraham or on and on the list goes, and we say, listen, I understand that Paul was sent. It's right there. I can't deny the truth. Paul was sent. The Lord says, I'm sending you. But the question we come up with oftentimes and the way we kind of wiggle out of this is we say, what does Paul's calling have to do with me? It was Paul's calling to go. Paul was the one being sent. Paul was the one that was supposed to be sharing his faith. It was his responsibility to turn people from the darkness into the light. It was his responsibility to open their eyes. In 2018, what does that have to do with me? And if we're not careful, we leave it right there, and all of a sudden, evangelism and reaching the world becomes somebody else's responsibility. And we're very good at doing that, by the way. We're very good at kind of passing the buck. It's the preacher's job. It's my Sunday school teacher's job. It was Paul's job. But it's not really my job to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with anybody that I know. Well, let's kind of fast forward a little bit to the book of Luke. I want you to look at Luke chapter 4, and I want to tell you something about Christ that you need to understand. We're, we're narrowing the scope a little bit here, okay? Luke chapter 4, verse 17. Did I give you that to put up on the screen? No? Okay, I'm sorry. Have it in your scripture. I'm going to read it as well. Luke chapter 4, just a little bit of background. Jesus is going to walk into the temple. He's going to pull out a scroll. Luke chapter 4, verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Remember, they didn't have books of the Bible. They didn't have to find Isaiah. They didn't have to thumb around and find Isaiah. He was handed a scroll. He opened it up. The Bible says he unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, Jesus now is talking about himself. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has, here's the word, sent me, Jesus says, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering sight of the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. So Jesus says, listen, I've been sent by the Father in heaven to proclaim the good news, to bring sight to the blind, to offer liberty or freedom to those who are bound in their sins. Christ said, I was sent to do this. Now, John chapter 17, here's the application for you. Here, here's where the rubber meets the road. John chapter 17, we have this one on the screen. The high priestly prayer is what it's called. Jesus is going to pray for his disciples just before he's arrested, just before he's crucified, just before all these things happen. He prays this prayer in John 17. It's known as the high priestly prayer. 
I want you to listen to the words of Christ. Now, I'm going to make the connection for you here in just a second. The words of Jesus, John 17, 17 on the screen. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, Jesus says. Now, verse 18. As you sent me, Jesus says, into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now, pause for a second, because now, now we can't say it was just Paul's job. We can't just say it was Peter's job alone. Now Jesus is bringing other people into the loop. Jesus is saying, listen, just as I was sent to proclaim the gospel, now I'm sending these people, right? And so now here's our, here's our next level of defense. You've got one more line of defense here. This is it. This is your last one. The last line of defense is that, well, Jesus must have just been talking about the people that were with him there. All right, let's be real technical about what it says. He's talking about the people that were with him. I'm praying for these as you send me, so I've sent them. He's talking about his disciples. He's not really talking to me. Until we get to verse 19 and 20, he says, And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And here it is, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Do you know who those also who will believe in me and their word is? Do you know who those people are? It's you. Did you know you're one of the people who've believed in his word? Right, Jesus says, I'm not just praying for these only, but also for those who will believe. That's you. So in, in John chapter 17, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed for you. But he didn't pray some generic thing. He didn't pray some ununderstandable type of a prayer that nobody gets and we can't really put our finger on. He prays a very specific thing here. Go back to verse 18. Jesus prays in verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have also, what? Sent them. I'm sorry, we're in John 17, 18, not Acts. John 17, 18, my fault. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Them is those who will believe in me. See the connection there? Do you see the connection? Yeah? Nod your heads if you see the connection. Half of you, that's good, that's good, that's a good start. I'll have counseling session with the other half after church. There's just, there it is, it's just right there. Like you kind of have to be willingly ignorant to not see it. Christ says, listen, I've sent you into this world just like I sent Paul, just like I sent Peter, just like I sent Abraham, just like Jesus was sent. You have been sent to do what? To open the eyes of the blind. To share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, here's our next line of defense. Right? Okay, so God sent me. Maybe I get that. I do see that biblically that God has sent me. But I'm not very good at this. I'm not good at it. You don't know my background. You don't know my history. You don't know my lifestyle. You don't know all the things I've been through. Well, just remember Paul. Right? Paul persecuted believers. Paul hated believers. Paul did everything he could to destroy the Christian church, and God still called him and used him to do great things. What happened with Paul? His eyes were opened. He was once blind, and now he can see. I don't know if y'all had a chance to walk through the sanctuary. Probably many of you have at this point. But the thing that's just fascinating to me about the sanctuary is that I can see things in there I couldn't see before. Like there are things exposed. Like I was able to walk back to the very back where they, you know, the whole back of the building is out now. It's very interesting. And they've cut the concrete slab. And as I kind of over in the corner, I was able to look where they've dug out. And I can see the slab, you know, the slab of concrete. 
Two or three feet below that are the, the cinder block walls that are now below ground that I can see. And I can see the original foundation, kind of the cornerstone that the church was built on. It's just really cool to me to see that. There's a lot of symbolism in that to me. But, I, but I, I saw that. I thought, this is fascinating. I can see this. The only reason I can see it is why? Because walls and barriers have been removed. You understand that? I couldn't see that before. Somebody had to physically remove a barrier and a wall for me to be able to see what always existed. It's the same thing with Christ. There are people that need those walls removed. They need those barriers broken down. People are unable to see. They're blinded to the truth of Christ. They need somebody to come in and do something about it. Now let's continue. We've got to move on through this. Look at verse 18 again. Pull 18 up for me, if you would, please. Paul's calling, our calling, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The first thing we need to understand about unbelievers is they are blinded to the truth of Christ. They don't understand it. Truth number two on the screen, unbelievers need to be turned to the light of Christ and rescued from the power of Satan. Right? Unbelievers need to be turned to the light of Christ, right? from the darkness to the light of Christ, and, this is the scary part, rescued from the power of Satan. Now, this is a real clear calling that Paul has received. A real clear understanding that Paul gets about what he ought to do, and it translates then, it translates now. Paul understands the metaphor that is used here in the book of Acts. He understands that light means the things of Christ, darkness means the things of the world, and so we've got people that are blinded, that are living in the darkness, that need to be turned to the light. It's a radical transformation. But there are two areas that we need to get here in verse 18 that I want you to notice. Look at verse 18 again, if you would, for me, please. Paul's told to open their eyes so they may, what's the word? Turn from darkness to light. How many of you guys remember the old faith training we used to do? Raise your hand if you did the faith training. Okay, several of us in here. We used to talk about repentance. And when you go talk to somebody about repentance, that's a churchy word, and it's hard for them to get sometimes if they haven't grown up in church. What does it really mean to repent? And so the word we used to explain to them was turn. We would say, here's what repentance means. It means you're doing one thing, you turn from that to something else. And we would say you turn from the world to Christ. That's how we explain it. Right, but the, the important thing we would try to get about repentance that I think a lot of people don't quite understand is repentance isn't just saying you're sorry. It's not just wishing you hadn't done it. It's actually turning from your sin towards something else. That's true repentance. Right? It's not true repentance just to say, I'm sorry, I wish I hadn't have done it. That's the start. But real repentance means I was doing this, now I'm instead doing something different. Right? We need to get people as believers to turn from the darkness to the light. Like it's our calling to show them, hey, this is kind of where you are. This is where Christ wants you to be. This is the direction you're walking now. You need to turn from that to the things of the Lord. So we need to help people turn from the darkness. But here, here's the kind of scary part about verse 18. Paul's told to open their eyes that may turn from darkness to the light and from the, what's the word, power of Satan to God. 
Now, that's interesting to me because when we think about Satan sometimes, he's not something that enters our minds often. Like, I don't drive around thinking about the devil. You probably don't either. It's just not on the, the forefront of my mind. But the thing we understand scripturally is the enemy has power. Not just a little bit of power, great amounts of power. In fact, power enough to lead us to the darkness, to keep us away from the things of Christ, to keep us from understanding who Jesus ought to be in our lives. So I'm going to give you just very quickly, because I want you to be mindful of this. I don't want to glaze over this phrase, the power of Satan, and just kind of ignore it. I want you to hear biblically, very quickly, three areas that Satan uses in our lives to kill, to steal, to destroy. The first one, we've already said it very simply, he blinds our eyes from seeing the light of the gospel. He puts things in front of us that keep us from seeing what we ought to see. We went bowling Friday night. We took a, a little staff retreat and we took the staff bowling, had a great time. I happened to win one of the games bowling, just so you'll know. I didn't win the other ones, I did one. But we're bowling in a really nice bowling alley, 48 lanes, really pretty, nice. And on the, on the walls above the pins are these big uh, projection screens. And they're showing like three lanes wide is, is like the width of the screen. So it's really big. You can see it. And there's, there's a lot of things going on. And, are, you know, bowling out, there's a lot of activity anyway. But on the screen, they're playing these music videos. Now, I'm out of the world of music videos. I mean, maybe I was in them 20 years ago. I don't really remember. But I, I don't know when the last time I've watched a music video was. So that's not my realm. I fully admit it, it may be normal. And I just didn't, I just hadn't seen it in a long time. But it just, it just really surprised me as I watched. And I didn't say anything. I was just curious the sexual nature of a lot of these videos. I mean, fairly explicit stuff. I thought, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, those probably would have been R-rated movies. Now they're just accepted as normal. And I thought, you know, that's just a, that's a subtle way the enemy blinds us from the things of Christ. There, there's a beautiful picture of, uh, of what Christ says about sexuality, and we'll talk about that when we get to the tension series here in a few weeks and what that looks like scripturally. There's a beautiful picture in marriage of how that ought to work and God's perfect plan, and the enemy's going to do everything he can to blind us and keep us from seeing that. And one of the ways he does it is put things in front of our eyes that are tempting to us. Like as a man, it's hard not to want to watch that stuff. And the enemy knows it. And he knows it. If he can get me to watch this instead of read this, then he's won. He's blinded me to the truth of what's really going on in the world. In, in the middle of that, that's the first thing he does. The other thing he does is lie to us. Right? John eight forty four says, You are of your father the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what the enemy does. He's going to lie to you. He's going to trick you. He's going to deceive you. And the third thing scripturally we see is that the enemy looks really good. He disguises himself as an angel of light. So he's going to deceive you. He's going to lie to you. He's going to trick you. He's going to look really good. He's going to put something in front of your face that seems really good to you, all the while trying to destroy you, all the while trying to blind you, all the while trying to keep you from the things of the Lord. We, we've got to go in and help people turn from the darkness to the light, rescue them from the power of Satan to the power of God. That's our calling. That's our calling. And then thirdly, I need to finish this thing up. Here's the third truth this morning, right in verse 18. Unbelievers, very simply, need forgiveness of sin. 
Unbelievers need forgiveness of sin. And that's not a popular thing to say right now. You probably already know that. There are a lot of churches that don't want to say that because it, it, it alienates people. It offends people. We don't want to talk about sin. We just want to talk about the love of Christ. And I, I, I get that. The love of Christ is real, but so is sin. And, and we've got to help people understand, listen, you're, you're walking in darkness. You're blinded. The power of Satan, it has a stronghold over you. Let me help you by demonstrating the love of Christ, by demonstrating his word. Let me help you turn from that darkness, turn from the power of Satan into the light and into the beauty of Christ. That's who we've been called to be. As we walk around the jungles of Guatemala, I talked a little bit about this last week, but one of the things about Guatemala is you don't get to drive to somebody's house and go up in their driveway. That doesn't exist. You drive down the dirt road, pull off the road, and then walk sometimes a mile or two into the jungle. And every time we go do these evangelism treks through the jungle, which is one of my favorite things to do, I'm always reminded of Romans chapter 10. Don't look it up. I just want to read it very quickly. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You know, literally, as I walk through those treks in Guatemala, through those jungle paths, I think to myself, listen, if I don't share the gospel of Jesus Christ in this hut today, probably nobody else will. If we don't send people to Africa or India or Romania or wherever, Alaska, wherever it may be, if we don't send people, if people are not willing to go and share the gospel, who will? Now, let's rein it in just very quickly before I finish up this one. Let's rein it in a little closer to home. You know, we talk about all these places overseas. What about the guy working in the cubicle next to you? Like, if you don't share Christ with that person, who's going to? If you don't share Christ with that kid at school, Students here in two or three weeks, who's going to? Teachers, if you don't love that student in the name of Christ, who's going to? Right, we begin to think of it in more personal terms and we begin to realize, listen, if we're not going to do it, nobody else will. It's our calling. Paul's been sent. Christ was sent. So are we. Christianity isn't passive. It's active. If we don't share our faith, nobody else will. If we're not willing to go to the ends of the earth and across the street to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, nobody else is going to. It's our calling. It's our understanding. We need to be serious about our faith. We need to be serious about the gospel. We need to have an active faith that's willing to reach the world for Christ regardless of what it takes. That's our calling. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. It's so clear and compelling and challenging and convicting, Father. Help us not to just set this aside and forget about it. Help us to remember, Lord, we've been sent into this world. Christ in John 17 prayed for us. Prayed for us that we would go, Father. Give us the strength and the courage to share the message of Jesus Christ with the lost and dying world. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand, altars open, an opportunity for you to pray, speak to me if you'd like, a chance for you to respond as we sing together, you come.
Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.